From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Joshua Tonks. He's a film and stage actor as well as screenwriter. His latest project is the fantastic queer short, The Latent Image, that's currently streaming on Deku. He also co-hosts the Return to Eerie Indiana podcast. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Thanks of for course. joining us. All the way from the UK. Is, yes. this, is this our first international guest? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Josh, you're our first guest that's not you're... from the States. That's not in the States. I feel so privileged. I feel so I guess, honored. No, I guess Canada. We have to we have a couple Canadian guests, but like first person across the Atlantic. Yeah. That's not too far away, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh so how are you doing? How's it going? Yeah, with, uh, it's everything pretty good. going on right now. It's um it's quite nice for me actually being able to take the time to kind of stop and pause and like work on some creative projects and things cuz I know London life can sort of run away with itself quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So, 
if I'm speaking personally about the situation at the moment, it, you know, it's not too bad. It could definitely be worse. Yeah, that's good. Though. That's good. How did you get into horror? Has it always been a part of your life or is it something that you got into later? I, I think it's always been a part of my life since I was very yeah. young. And I think it came from being really, really, really scared of everything. <laughs> I, was, I was a really sensitive kid, but at the same time, I think I was always sort of chasing that thrill mm-hmm. that I would get from watching horror. One of the first things I saw was Jaws. And I know that's oh, yeah. probably not a true true horror film but it's that was, oh, no, the first, it is. That, that was the first horror film i also saw so and that shaped me so yeah. i my uh it. i uh i think i've said this before but uh my bedroom had a blue a blue carpet and so i remember after watching jaws i would run from my bedroom door as quickly as i could and dive onto my bed so I wouldn't get eaten by oh, I love the imaginary shark in my room. I used, I used to think that sharks would come out of the toilet and also in the pool. So yeah. we are similar in terms of like that fear of sharks. I uh, I mean, I, t- I think we talked about this a little bit during the, the Jaws episode. But like when I was in Alaska after I saw Jaws, I was taking swim lessons and I hated swimming on my back in the pool indoors in Alaska because I was so terrified uh, that there was going to be a shark underneath me. It was just going to come up and eat me, and I couldn't see it because my I was on my back. So, yeah. Uh, Jaws. <laughs> it's a good I'm one. Totally, I'm totally right there with you. It, uh, <laughs> it was a traumatizing movie. And then there was, there was actually an episode of The Simpsons that I think probably scarred me even more. Really? Which was the, the Cape Fear episode with Sideshow Bob. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I watched that with a friend, and... I, the part where Homer sneaks into Bart's bedroom with the knife. Bart, you want your brownie before you go to bed? Ah! Come on, let me cut your brownie while they're still hot. And then later pops back in with the chainsaw. Bart, do you want to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? Ah! Oh, sorry. What am I thinking? I, oh. I remember <laughs> screaming... And my friend's dad walking past and being really annoyed with me for being too loud and like telling me off because I was I was too loud because I was traumatized. And then I couldn't watch another episode of The Simpsons that had Sideshow Bob in for years. I would I, he would scare me so much I'd have to turn it off. Wow! Wow! Is that the one where he keeps stepping on uh, rakes? The, yeah. yeah. Oh yes. Okay. <laughs> like it's really funny now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, I can imagine like that that episode like they did I think they did a really good job in that episode of mimicking Cape Fear because Sideshow Bob was a little sinister in that he I don't think he turned completely into the the comedic act that he was later but like yeah I can see how that would be traumatizing oh god yeah I, I was very sensitive as a kid very yeah, sensitive so now I. nothing phases me at all anymore I think I've right become so desensitized to it but yeah i was i was scared of everything yeah and i i you probably are like me and we we're just kind of trying to chase that thrill that that terrified us when we were a kid because like that that's what i keep hoping to get from horror movies yeah, yeah definitely yeah so josh you've done a lot of stage work um why did you want to transition into to films i think it's because with with stage there is so so the reason I started working on the stage is because I I sing and I dance as well um cool. and the the only um 
the only sort of outlet I discovered for that growing up was in musical theatre. So that's what most of my, that's sort of like what most of my training was. And then most of my professional experience after that was was in musical theatre. But theatre doesn't provide you a lot of stability. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm. acting doesn't at all anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the slightest. But um, I've sort of, as I've gotten older, I've, I've sort of discovered like the things that I really love and the things that I sort of obsess over, you know, movies, TV, music. That they they weren't musicals. Musical theatre is like a completely different genre to just being able to sing and dance and act. It's actually one genre within itself. And so I sort of the last maybe four years, I've been sort of navigating my way into a into a different medium and something that I'm truly passionate about. You know, I'm not I'm not tweeting and Instagramming about musicals. I'm tweeting and Instagramming yeah. about horror movies. So it's like, well, how can I turn that into what I do for the rest of my life? That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. By the way, listeners, if you haven't, if you're not following Josh on Twitter, he has posted some really nice uh, singing. You have a beautiful voice, uh, Thank you. Josh. <laughs> Transitioning into this, uh, the latent image. Can you tell listeners a little bit about what it's what it's about? Yeah, so um, it's a project that I worked on back in 2018 because as part of my sort of transition from theater to film i i kind of wanted to do some different things things that i'd sort of put off and i'd never really traveled or sort of been anywhere else so i i got a working visa and was able to live in vancouver for two years and um i went out there with a friend of mine alex who is the director of the latent image and together we we sort of we wanted to create a short film that, that we could that he could direct, we could both write, and I could act in um, something that was affordable, something we could do with like a limited crew. Um, and the latent images, what we came up with, we were we were very inspired by Misery mm. um, and a little bit of uh, Damien Chazelle's Whiplash as well. Mm. And we sort of concocted this story about uh, a young writer in a cabin who gets visited by a stranger one night that may or may not be a work of fiction. And, you know, both Alex and myself are queer. So we we wanted to put a spin on that and sort of talk about the dangers that particularly gay men put themselves into mm. um, in regards to sort of, in regards to sex, basically, you know, the, yeah. If, yeah. if it's something that you weren't able to have very much of or much experience of as a young person because it was it was deemed not appropriate or you know other gay men weren't a part of your life it can we wanted to show how that can sort of to to sort of get that that sexual thrill i guess you put yourself in dangerous situations mm. because of the the oppression that the sort of the gay men have felt yeah uh wow yeah um it's it's I feel such like that was a, really long-winded. No, <laughs> no, not at, no all. at all. It was perfect. Uh, it's it's one of those things where the the short um, it's it's streaming on Deku. So if I, I really recommend Deku has a lot of really great uh, LGBTQ content um, as we'll well. We'll link it in the show notes, guys. Yeah, but like what I really enjoyed about the short was the the intensity and the 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 feeling of both malice maybe but also eroticism between the two characters um and i think that what you said just kind of perfectly like sums that up that feeling yeah yeah definitely and what's been really interesting getting people's 
responses and reactions to the film is there's some people watch that look at my character of the writer and sort of have uh they look at him as like is he perhaps the villain mm. as well right um there's a real like it's very ambiguous a lot of it and i know that when alex were alex and i were creating the story it was we knew exactly what it was it was almost very literal but the the, the changes that happened from script to screen and then from screen to the edit the thing evolved and i think we we, we were both interested in erotic thrillers as well um Mm-hmm. They're sort of a, a genre that we don't really see very much of anymore. No. And we thought it would be cool to explore that um, from like a gay point of view More as well. More gay erotic thrillers. <laughs> yes, <Exactly>. please. <laughs> <laughs> so you also are co-hosting the uh, the Return to Erie, Indiana podcast. And I am like a couple episodes deep. Kind of the Corona thing has sort of cut my podcast listening in half. But yeah, same. I absolutely love this podcast because... I loved return. I loved Erie, Indiana when I was a kid. Um, can you talk a little bit about that podcast for our listeners? And can someone explain to me what Erie, Indiana is? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Erie, Indiana is a, it's a 19 episode show uh, mm-hmm. that came out in 1991. It stars Omri Katz, who you will know from the movie Hocus Pocus. He's the sort of the main kid in that. Yep. Oh my god, okay. It's like a kid's version of Twin Peaks or <gasps> The X-Files. Oh. So Omri Katz plays a young teenager called Marshall Teller who moves to Erie, Indiana from New Jersey, I think. So he's like a city kid that moves to this small picturesque town. And uh, Joe Dante is a producer and he directs loads of the episodes. So everything has that kind Whoa. of like the burbs... Edward Scissorhands kind of vibe to it. It's very sort of picturesque, but under the surface, all these sort of different mysteries and weird things happen. And he sort of solves with, with his friend, with his friend, Simon, who's played by Justin Schenkero, who he voices one of the, he voiced one of the characters on Hey Arnold. And we got to interview him really recently, which was really cool. Oh, um, cool. So yeah. So he, with his little buddy, Simon, they sort of solve the mysteries in Erie, Indiana. I know what I'm watching tonight <laughs> or later. <laughs> the, uh, the the first episode and uh, it's it's weird because I haven't watched this show since I was a little kid. But listening to your first episode about well episode one where it's about Tupperware ladies and they're using like this Tupperware to keep people alive way past their their life expectancy. Yeah. I it brought me right back to that moment as a kid, and I I need to go hunt this show down too and and rewatch it because I love that growing up. It looks so, like it's streaming on Amazon. It is. is yeah, it? I was just gonna say. So it's streaming on Amazon Prime. So yeah, you can you can check everything out on there. Perfect. Oh my god, I cannot wait. We just recorded the the episode that just dropped. Actually, is one. Uh, I think it's episode seven, and it's Heart on a Chain. And the mm-hmm. episode uh, stars Danielle Harris from Halloween 4 and Halloween 5. Oh, um, wow, yeah. And it was a few years after she appeared in that, and she is fantastic. And we actually had a really, really good time talking about it because it's the show, the show's very Monster of the Week, sort of like mm-hmm. very early Buffy. And it takes, it takes a bit of a twist uh, with this episode, and it breaks the format a little bit, and the tone and the style is really different. 
So it was really exciting to talk about how the show sort of is evolving because I had maybe seen one or two episodes, but I was very young. Um, and so I don't really remember anything about it. So for me, I'm watching it as it goes along and that's really exciting. That's so cool. That's so awesome. are you guys doing deep dives into each episode and just discussing them? And you're also interviewing the cast or people you can talk to, right? Yeah. The, um, the so cool. interview with Justin sort of came about as quite a surprise. We we started obviously tweeting about the show and he's a he's a big fan of it. I think it was he said that it's his favorite job that he's ever done. And I think oh, he's wow. trying oh, cool. to he's pushing to try and get it redone, re- rebooted in some way. Oh, so we got the opportunity to interview him and he was really, really nice. And he sort of gave us some really sort of interesting backstory about Hollywood and like working as an actor in L.A. because he was a child star in the in the show. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what it was like to audition for things back then. I mean, for me as an actor, it was really fascinating as well. I can imagine. And it's uh, called Return to Erie, Indiana. It is. Yeah. And it's available wherever you get your podcast. It's on Spotify and like Apple Podcasts and all of that. Plus you get to hear Josh talk a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) In my British accent. Um, Cool. So Terry, do we want to talk about what we have been watching? Uh, Yes. Uh, Yes, we do. I know. I'm very excited. Terry has a very funny thing to talk about because he sent me a teaser last night, a picture. So Terry, what have you been watching? Tell us everything. (sighs) Um, So... (laughs) I'm trying to go through my backlog of uh, collected Blu-rays that I've been buying from either Vinegar Syndrome or Severin, et cetera, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. so my app last night, I shake it, it tells me a movie, and I'm watching it. And so I watched The Suckling. (laughs) I cannot wait to hear about it because I almost bought The Suckling. And I don't know why. I think I was just like, I don't know if I want to buy this movie. Have you heard of this movie, Josh? I have not. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, I'm just I think the the synopsis on IMDb is just perfect. A, preg- <laughs> a pregnant woman reluctantly goes to an illegal abortion clinic which also doubles as a brothel only to have her aborted mutated fetus attack everyone at the clinic. Oh my god. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. It is uh, I don't even <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I like I got to this part where uh and this is the image I sent uh Mary Beth last night where this one of the guys that's going to the brothel, he like is wearing one of those like spinny hats. The like the hats has like a propeller on top. Yes. And he is holding um a a nice sized dildo and <laughs> a nice sized dildo. Nice. <laughs> you kind of get some that are like not nice sized. Some of them ooh. <laughs> No, <laughs> and he's like looking at this at at this this prostitute and like he's his he like his eyes like he kind of does that little you know eye wink type thing and like, like raising his eyebrows almost, yeah yeah like, yeah hey and then his his propeller starts to spin which i don't i don't know how that how that <laughs> connects but then but then what happens is in a kind of an interesting turn he hands it over to her and she starts drilling him with it. Oh. And his twirly hat spins the entire oh. time. Hey, look at that. Yeah. This so while, brilliant. While, while this is going on, we have this this poor woman who is being basically forced into an abortion, well, literally forced into an abortion by her, I guess he's a, 
like a preppy jock and he doesn't want this to ruin his life. So he's like pressuring her into going to this illegal place to get this abortion. They like drug her and then she wakes up and they, they've already aborted it and they've tossed it down into this really weird uh, sewer that also happens to be like right underneath where there's like toxic waste. Cause I guess there's just cans of toxic waste in the nineties. Um, just uh-huh. sort of chilling everywhere. Oh, yeah, constant. That right. All the time. And then it like brings the baby back to life and it starts to mutate and it becomes sort of like a, an alien ripoff in a brothel. So did you like it? <laughs> Is like a word that you can use to describe this movie or enjoy. I mean, this is a movie in which the the abortion doctor is her name is Big Mama, and ah. she uses the abortion hanger to hang up her doctor's outfit. Oh God! Okay. Um, <laughs> that's so, all we need to know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to answer that. It's okay. It, <laughs> That's valid. What's funny is that the cinematography in it is actually really quite well done, especially considering the budget for this movie, which I'm I'm assuming is non-existent. (laughs) But like, it's filmed really well, and the the puppetry where I guess most of the money went to for the the suckling the monster is actually pretty pretty cool. Oh, it uses its umbilical cord to wrap around people. Of course. Um, it has, like... Yeah. It, Duh. I, I, Duh, obviously. I just... It, this This is, like... This is uh, this is just a very bad taste movie. Um, okay. It, and it, it's very cringy. Um, but mm-hmm. I will say that it has Michael Gingold as playing the suckling. Michael Gingold is... Um, the... Was one of... Was the managing editor of Fangoria. Um, and... <laughs> This was him as a as a teenager in, in college, and he got this role to play the suckling, and so he is in a lot of the scenes the monster in the in it. Wow! And he would eventually go on to own or to manage Fangoria. Huh? Yeah, everyone's got a journey. <laughs> so there you fate. go. <laughs> so that's that movie, and then the other movie I just want to briefly touch on is I revisited Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Oh, cool. Okay, which. I hadn't seen probably since uh, I was a kid, and I loved this movie as a kid. And it doesn't quite hang hold up, <laughs> but uh, I think have you guys seen it? I've no, not, I have no. not. Okay, well, I love Elvira, and she is Cassandra is putting in quite a performance in this. Like she is pulling out all the stops. It's she the, the idea is that she's like finds out she had a long lost aunt that is has bequeathed her a mansion and a cookbook that turns out to be a book of spells that her uncle wants because he's the devil or something. And like, so she's in this town and of course, you know, she's Elvira. So she's dressed, you know, scandalously and she's very, you know, beautiful and her boobs are all over the place. And it's in this small town where like, we're morality, we're this, we're this. So it's sort of like that outsider versus, you know, the kind of like mm. moral majority. Um, 
But the one thing I, I will say is, is that I never knew where the gag on RuPaul's Drag Race came from. But it apparently comes from this movie where really? they ask, uh, how's your head? I haven't had any complaints. It's in this movie. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So that gag on, on Drag Race that, that, was, that became a running gag where Ru would ask, I forget who it was. Pearl? I think it was Pearl. Was it? Yeah, I couldn't remember. But like, yeah, would ask, Pearl, yeah, Pearl. How's your head? And they would be like... It's fine. And yeah. mm-hmm. It apparently came from this movie. So wow. there you go. That's wild. Yeah. But that's uh, that's what I saw. Um, what about you, Mary Beth? So I just watched one BR, one bedroom. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I know Terry's already talked about this, but I just wanted to say I watched it and I really enjoyed it. It definitely um, did not go any way I was expecting it to go, which no. I love in a movie when it keeps throwing me for a loop. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting look at that kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I want to spoil it. I know it's really hard. I won't spoil anything. Just know that it's very good and it's, it'll keep you on your toes the whole time. And then it's tight. What's what's this called? One BR one. It's, it's a one bedroom, but it's the title is one BR. And it's a film. Yes. Mm -hmm. It just came out this weekend. Right. I've not heard of it. Yeah. It's out. Yeah, so it it was in the festival circuit for a while, and it just hit VOD this weekend. So, strongly recommend. Um, And then, on my found footage journey, everyone that I've I've been sharing this, I watched a couple, but the one I really want to talk about is called Jerusalem. Okay, yes. Have you seen Jerusalem, Terry? I have not. Josh, have you seen Jerusalem? I have not, no. Okay, and Jerusalem is spelled with a Z instead of an S, so it's hilarious. I thought it was going to be cheesy because that title is, like, not the best, I will say. (laughs) But I actually really enjoyed it. A lot of people told me that it was not worth my time, but it was on Amazon Prime, and I was like, well, what am I doing anyway? And I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, it's not perfect, but who cares? It's really an, a fascinating use of Google Glass as a way to film a found footage horror movie, which I think is really fascinating. And I don't think it I, it's not as invasive and cheesy as I thought it was going to be in terms of using the Google Glass, which I really liked. And also there's zombie angels. And like, if anyone has read my work, I'm obsessed with evil angels and like representations of evil angels. So I was like, very into this movie. So was that yeah. Was that by the the Pause Pause Brothers? Yes, it is. Okay, because they they did the Golem. Yes, they did. So they are they're born in Israel. So, and I was watching this movie. I was like, is this weird that it's like basically it's about two American white American women who go to, to they're going to Tel Aviv, but they end up in Jerusalem like for vacation. And I was like, this is kind of weird. But the Pause Brothers are Israeli, I believe, mm-hmm. and they made the film, so that made me feel a little less like oh, this is exploitative. So it's actually really interesting um, in terms of like their perspective on Jerusalem. And it's definitely got a lot of like, not super political, but definitely like, I mean, Jerusalem is a political place. So it was a lot of that interesting, like that context sprinkled throughout the film as well. So I, I really, I thought it was good. I was, it's, it's on Amazon Prime and it's got a gory and it's got some cool creatures. And I didn't realize it was found footage. Um, like I, I found it, I haven't watched it, but I found it when I was uh, doing research about the Golem when I mm-hmm. watched that last year. And uh, I was like, oh, I like the Golem. Maybe I should give that a chance. I didn't realize it was found footage, though. That's interesting. Yeah, the title is not doing any favors. Um, no. 
I don't know whose choice that was, and I'm sorry to the Paz brothers. Because, like, when you spell Jerusalem and have a Z, it just – it looks so cheesy. Mm-hmm. But it's not as che- it's not as cheesy as the title suggests. And it is really cool the way Google Glass is used and the found footage aspects is used. Um, not a spoiler, but there's facial recognition with the Google Glass, and there's some really interesting ways that that is used in terms oh. of, like, darkness and facial recognition. Mm. I thought it was really cool. I mean, like – and maybe I'm just more of like a softie for found footage horror, but I really I mean, thought you it was... are, but <laughs> I am okay, valid. I'm a softie for found footage horror, but I enjoyed it. I mean, like again, ninety minutes, really interesting. Some creepy monsters. What's not to love? What's not to love? Yeah. Exactly. Thanks for. All. I'm like just like listening and making mental notes of all these so I can <laughs> check them out because they all sound really cool. Yeah, and like I said, Jerusalem is streaming. Prime has a lot of really good found footage movies. Well, okay, I probably shouldn't say they're all good, but <laughs> they have a lot of found footage movies on Amazon Prime, like the indie, like small indie ones. Um, so that's been really cool for me to kind of just dive into that because there are a lot of found footage horror movies, guys, like way more yes. than I ever expected. So, and I just found out that uh, Gonjium is is streaming on Prime now for free. <gasps> Everybody, go watch Gonjium Haunted Asylum. It's the best. <laughs> that's my song it is the best i love Catchy. that song i'm gonna buy it on blu-ray i think yeah i bought it on blu-ray i love okay. I, I just love it but what about you josh what have you been watching well have you guys seen uh michael verratti's new short film unusual Acha- uh unusual attachment no i haven't it's really cool mary beth you were just talking about found footage and this it's not found footage but it's it's all shot on like on on screens um, oh shit i love that i love like found i don't know how to call like those kinds of movies but i lump them in with found footage even though they're not yeah. <laughs> um unusual um, attractions it's amazing um so he is it playing somewhere or i we think it's i think there's like a vimeo link for it because it's it's really recent he pulled it all together over like the last month i think and so it was shot in quarantine um oh wonderful it's, that's so fucking cool it's got ben uh ben bauer in and he plays a guy that's sort of he's on like a sort of chat roulette kind of thing like searching for a guy that he has effectively fallen in love with uh and he he's like and you see him search through like all these different guys that he sort of meets and then it sort of it takes a little bit of a of a horror twist towards the end but it's so well done that's and, ama- it's okay Okay, yep, I see it. I it's just on saw Michael's, It's on everyone. We'll link it in the show notes. Michael Verratti has it um, pinned to his Twitter, but we'll yeah. link to that in the show notes as well. So, yeah, I watched that and I really enjoyed it because I, I like I like watching a lot of things that that are, that, are, that are either shorts or something that I feel like inspire me to create as well. Yeah. I think sometimes if I'm just turning on a, a big budget movie, it's like, oh, that feels unattainable. That feels too far away. So I, I, I like to see things that are fresh and people are creating. Um, yeah. And I know Michael as well. He's really, really lovely. And he was very gracious. And when I was in, when Alex and I were working on the latent image, um, we went to LA a few times and we got to meet with him and he introduced us to loads of cool people. That's awesome. So yeah, it was, he, he's, he's incredible and he knows everybody and he's, he's fab. So, so yeah, check out that, give him a little plug. And oh. then I've also been, I've been writing a new script, uh, which is uh, vampire themed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh so my god! I was, I was checking out. Um, 
I was checking out some some things that sort of inspired that. So I actually rewatched the the remake of Fright Night. I don't know if with Anton. Oh my Yelchin. god, yes, with Colin Farrell as the hot neighbor vampire. Yeah, I, <laughs> and I really Antoine liked Yelkin, that. Antoine Yelkin, rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> I know I, he's amazing in it. He sort of really carries the film so well. But I I, I like it. Um, I was looking at it because Marty Noxon wrote the script, and she was obviously a producer and a writer on Buffy, which is I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, I wanted to see, I was just looking at how she sort of crafts the characters um, and sort of their sort of their journey. Because the, the film I'm sort of sort of tinkering with at the moment is is sort of like uh, their teenagers and also vampires as well. Oh my God. That's awesome. I want, I want it. I want yes. it so bad. I want it now. I want it now. <laughs> you should, um, there's a book called about vampire teenagers. Because actually, um, Terry, I was really inspired by your article that you wrote about, I think it's about queer representation. I think, oh no, it's about the Tragedy Girls, the film Tragedy oh, Girls. Yeah. Mm. And in it, there's there's a really cool section where you talk about how homosexuality was represented in films like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Fright Night and The Lost Boys and how they use like like the monster as like an allegory for homosexuality but it always ends in a really negative way it always becomes heteronormative again yeah and i love the way that you explained that and described that and it sort of got me thinking well what if i was to do something similar but make it positive rather than it ultimately become like a negative thing which was very sort of reagan era 80s kind of yeah so yeah, that's was, awesome. Uh, you you very much inspired what I'm working oh. on at the moment. <laughs> You're making me blush. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just said it uh. in such a concise way because so I've I've um, the last few years I've been listening to a lot more podcasts and sort of getting sort of getting people's perspectives on that sort of thing. And you just you were able to sum that up in such a concise way that made sense to me because it's really hard to to watch films as you know as a queer person you're watching films that you love that you grew up loving but when you look at them with a more critical eye you sort of see that that they're not as perfect as you once believed when you were a teenager yeah and it's sort of making peace with the fact that like i love this film and i still do but it's actually really flawed and then how can i create art that people love but that is actually positive as well yeah wow getting heavy (laughs) (laughs) well on that note we talked about what we have been watching recently but josh what movie have you brought with me today what are we talking about today well the movie i've brought with me i'm very very excited to talk about it is my favorite film of all time and it is scream hello hello who is this? If you tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step 
too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs, and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. He didn't make the rules. The police are always off track. If they watch Palm Night, they save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Amazing. So for anyone who is unfamiliar with Scream, one, please go watch it. Uh, Two, here's the synopsis. (laughs) A year after the murder of her mother, Sydney Prescott is terrorized by a new killer who targets her and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. What's your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? I mean, it's just iconic, isn't it? It's iconic. It is. Iconic. <laughs> we talked a little bit before uh, we were recording about, like, I watched it last night and I was taking notes and my notes just devolved into me just writing my favorite lines because, like, it's just, it's just, it's a movie that is just, uh, what what do you say about it? It's a juggernaut. But yeah. how old, how old were you when you saw this, Josh? And uh, what's the story? What is your horror story about this? Yeah. So when I, I saw the movie when I was nine years old. Um, so I think it was probably like two or three years after it had come out. Okay. It was before Scream 3 was released. I know that. But it was definitely after the first two had come out. And I was terrified of this movie before I'd even seen it. It was it was the talk of the playground. All the kids at school had seen it and were talking about it. And so I knew the film in like specific detail before I'd even watched it. And I was absolutely terrified. I remember the the first time I saw a clip of it, I was at, it it wasn't a sleepover, but I think there was a group of us that just happened to be at a friend's house and he put it on. And it was the sequence where Sydney gets attacked in the bedroom after she's had sex with Billy and gets chased Mm. around, falls off the roof. She finds her friend Tatum hanging from the garage door Mm -hmm. and then Kenny gets killed. Like that whole section, that was what I saw first. And my heart was in my mouth. I, I, I'm, and I freaked out and I made my friends turn it off. So that was, that was like the first time I saw it. And then my, my, one of my friends, I had a sleepover, Halloween sleepover at his and we got out scream and I was like, yep, I can do this. I can watch it. But then I I panicked and I freaked out and was like, no, no, I can't. I'm too scared. So we put on the other film that his mum had rented for us. And that was David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh, Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that was fine. Like, that was absolutely fine. (laughs) I had no problem with that. That's fascinating. Wow. How funny is that? That's hilarious. I obviously... I obviously was fine with watching horror films, but yeah. there was obviously something about Scream. The hype uh, had just like worked me up into like a frenzy before I watched it, and to the point where my uh, 
My next door neighbors, they had Scream 1 and 2 on VHS, if we remember those, VHS. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. And uh, I borrowed them and I would like pour over the back cover and I was I knew exactly, I could like read it verbatim, like I knew exactly what the blurb said on the back. And I, I was driving my, my parents insane. Like I, I'd be like locking the back door and like just like just <laughs> just so freaked out to the point where my my mum actually she watched it one day. She was like, What's the fuss? Like, what is it? She watched it and she was like, Josh, it's it's actually not that bad. Like if you really want to watch it, like it's fine. And so I I eventually did and I think I just took the video up to my room one morning and I fast forwarded through the opening scene and watch the rest of the film and i just remember <laughs> feeling so proud and like so victorious when i reached the end that I, I i was a given i was obsessed from that moment forward amazing you know i had a lot of thoughts come to me as i was listening to you say this because when i was a kid i would i would watch a movie and i'd get to a part that like traumatized me and that's why before we start recording you said that you were surprised no one's taken scream i'm surprised no one's taken alien because i really want to talk about alien with someone oh my gosh because yes i had this i have this uh tendency where if i get terrified by a movie i become i became obsessed with it but i would become obsessed with watching the sequel because i figured because the sequels were never as scary to me so like there's a couple movies a couple franchises where i would end up stopping watching the first one because something got me and then i would end up watching the sequel and then i'd eventually be able to come back to the first one oh interesting so like i i was a very sensitive kid too josh and i can i understand that that kind of like hype buildup that can like lead to this i this like i can't do it i can't do it and then once you finally do get to see it you realize that this is amazing and i really want to go watch all of this so that i think that's really cool yeah, I felt like a hero afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> and I w- then I would tell everyone. And uh, my entire childhood, I spent showing people that hadn't seen it, that film. I'd sit them down and I'd watch it with them. And then I'd, I must have been so annoying. Like I would like talk them through, like, because I, <laughs> I then researched everything about the film and how it was made and, you know, all the all the, the stories behind it. And I would like talk people through it. And I'd be so excited to to see if they could work out who you know, who was behind the killings in the film, you know, I still don't ever want to spoil the film for people in case someone hasn't seen it because the ending is so fantastic. It is really good. How old were you, Mary Beth, when, when you saw this? (sighs) Okay. So there is a very long and involved (laughs) story about Scream and my family. So, Oh, trying to figure out how old I was. So I was probably like six or seven. So young. I know. second grade-ish age when I saw this and it was not that I saw it it was that my um my aunt who is only nine years older than me was babysitting and she was watching it and she thought I was asleep and I watched it from behind the couch (laughs) or part of it from behind it was like part of it and it might have actually been screamed too I can't remember I just remember the, the 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 mask and I I was freaked the fuck out because it was like a a violent scene with blood and death. (laughs) And I can't remember exactly. It was like one of those things where I can't remember exactly what it was, but I like remember like the scenario. And basically I freaked out and then I got scared. I told my mom that my aunt let me watch Scream and it became this like years long fight 
my mom was so mad at my aunt for letting me watch Scream. And my aunt was like, she's lying. She would never – I didn't let her watch Scream. And I was like, she let me watch Scream. And for literal years, this was brought up at, like, family gatherings. <laughs> oh this was brought up all the time. And, like, there was even a situation at my school where, like, we were talking about, like, this guy was, like, pretending to stab me about Scream. And I brought it up to my principal about, like, he was going to kill me, like, in Scream. And so it became this whole other, like – huge debacle of me seeing that movie and thinking someone was going to kill me and like having to do with the principal (laughs) and like so scream so like i never actually saw the full movie scream all the way through until last year because it had become this like monolith of like fear and angst in my family and so i just like had avoided it because it was like it was it seriously has been a sensitive topic like almost my entire life if we bring up scream um and then i finally like as i got older i was like i think i snuck that movie and my aunt was like justice tell your mother right now um (laughs) so that was like that's how scream caused a minor like a very minor riff in my family but it definitely was like a drama for a while um and so i just like avoided it for so long because i felt like i wasn't allowed to watch it but then last year this is actually hysterical last year i was babysitting my aunt's kids <laughs> and watched it at her house <laughs> oh, no. while i was watching yes. her did the same thing. <laughs> yes. but they were dead asleep um oh but i was, it was well, so this comes full correct. circle no they were they're like one of them was wasn't even of a year old yet and the other one was four um i definitely checked Just a couple times i was like this would be hysteric I, I know god it's gonna come back and bite me in the ass it but, will. <laughs> but it was See, i would have gone up and poked was, them awake um so it's I don't know I was I just like was laughing about that I was like it seems right that the first time I'm actually fully watching this movie is on my aunt's couch watching her children I told her that too and she was like I swear to God if you scar my children <laughs> <laughs> so yes that's like the long and involved story about Scream so technically I only saw it the full thing last year but it has had a ripple effect across most of my life <laughs> did it um did did it live up to your expectations exceeded exceeded expectations i am obsessed with scream like yeah obsessed with scream i have like scream posters and t-shirts now like i know i'm late to the late to the um the party but like obsessed absolutely obsessed yeah i feel yeah i was so mad at myself i was like i knew it was like horror comedy but i guess like just because of the whole scenario when i was a kid i was like i it's too scary or like there's something taboo about it and then I finally watched it, and I was like, "What the fuck is wrong with me? Like, this movie is amazing. How did I avoid it for so long?" So, yes, I am a huge fan of the film. Hell yeah! Yeah, it's it's so good. It's so good. And I think what's so good about it is, it for me, it it works on so many different levels. It works as a piece of nineties nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. It it works as a horror movie. It works as a satire. It works as a fantastic murder mystery. I think what people forget is you can you can take away the like the meta element of the film. If you take away all the stuff that the critics found really clever, it's actually an incredible mystery. Yeah. And there's a real it's really timely as well. Not to get too heavy, but like it, it was at a period it, it you know, it was right before Columbine happened. And yeah. it, it, mm-hmm. you can see it sort of almost predicting that you've got these, you know, upper middle class kids that are very bored and you know unhappy with their 
circumstances and they decide to you know kill the kill their friends and it's it's sort of it's sort of chilling how the film mirrors that especially in a franchise that talks so much about life imitating art yeah as, you know mickey says in the second one life imitating art mm-hmm. imitating life it, it just it was like um a perfect storm almost it was the perfect time for that film to happen because it wasn't the first film that that was meta you know or self-aware no. you know you look at something like friday the 13th part six jason lives and you you have elements in that so there was there was that kind of stuff was there before but i think scream was the sort of perfect culmination of director writer cast era yeah you know it, it all works so well yeah i would agree with that terry how old were you when you first saw this movie so this is one of the films that i've been dying to like talk about on the podcast <laughs> so this was during the time I've mentioned this previously where I wasn't watching horror movies. Mm-hmm. I had it's it were in the, the mid nineties and there, it came a point where like my parents had been very like conservative with the movie choices that I was allowed to watch. So I, I started reading. And so I read a whole lot because I wasn't being policed there. So like I read so many books that probably were way too adult for me, but I just, I had no, I had no, concept of what was playing in the movie theaters and this movie came out um in december of 1996 so i would have been 15 mm-hmm. and it, when you're in high school that that time you know you're you're out of school and then you come back and people start talking about because we didn't have as much internet and everything you know so like get, keeping in touch with people if you weren't calling them you were or you know scheduling dates to go hang out with them you didn't see most of your friends until you got back to school the next you know next year in january mm-hmm. and so i came back to school and everyone was talking about this movie and i didn't know what it was and people started like talking about you know how how people were gutted in it and people were you know like hung up from their insides and i'm like this sounds nasty (laughs) like i i I had no desire to see it it actually kind of made me not want to see it Mm because like everyone was talking about how how gory it was and i had built it up in my mind as as a sensitive teenager does that this was like the thing that you shouldn't see like i i was building this up to like martyrs levels or something like that right in my in my mind and so i didn't see it um i knew kind of the the plot i knew that uh, that Billy was, you know, the the killer because people would love to talk about that scene, and so I knew the kind of the plot, but I never saw it until Scream Two came out, and my my friends wanted to watch Scream Two. We didn't see it in the theaters, and so we, when it came out on VHS, we rented both, and we we had a movie party, and we watched the first two Screams to get back to back. Oh, cool! And it is the movie that brought me back into horror. Um, oh, so that's it's, amazing. So the thing is, is that like I, Wes Craven has had such an impact on my, my horror life because mm. I don't, I, I, we, we talked a little bit about, about it in Nightmare on Elm Street episode, but like that was the movie that kind of taught me that horror movies could be different than I was expecting um, that they could, that they could be terrifying and fun. And it is what got me into horror in the first place um, to be perfectly honest. And then back in the nineties, when I was out, he pulled me back in and it's, it's thanks to Wes Craven that, um, 
that potentially I'm here right now talking about this kind of stuff. Oh my god! So this movie is very is very special for me because of that. I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's so um, that's so perfect. And I think I think you're so right. I think Wes Craven Wes Craven's influence is all over this film. Yeah, and it's really really interesting. The very the very first screenplay I ever wrote is a is a movie called summer's end um and i finished it um that like i finished and i'd never written anything before and this is at the point where i was you know i was really really trying to find that to make that decision to transition from what i'd been doing my whole life which was theater and to like do something else and you know that the theater stuff wasn't working and like work was sort of slowing down I was like you know what I'll I'll write a script like and I'll write something that I really love and I wrote this film called Summer's End which is it's so inspired by Scream Mm -hmm. and it's so inspired by Wes Craven and the the day that I the day I finished the very first draft my very first script ever was um was the day that I then found out that Wes Craven had just passed away oh wow Oh wow! And so, like his his impact on my career and my my taste and my life has been um, has been monumental as well. Um, so Terry, I can completely yeah, I completely understand. Like I completely relate to that. That's yeah. So looking back on it on it now, um, gosh, we're like how far? Oh, how many years is it? Like twenty four years? Really? Uh, twenty four years? I think. Yeah. How do you guys think it 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 hold has held up all this time? So well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it seems like a duh just, question, right? Like, just <laughs> as someone who has who watched it, like actually comprehended the film and watched it last year, it it holds up absolutely. It, it holds up. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And it's just, it, I think it is interesting too. I think it like a lot of its themes about violence and horror movies still are relevant today, um, unfortunately. But like, I think. It's a I don't know if timeless story is the right word because like even though it's wrapped in '90s nostalgia, I think it strikes a really good balance between like being a little bit about nostalgia, but also like not too much as to like date it and make it seem like it's a product of its time. I guess if that makes sense. Timeless is is actually the word that that came to mind for me as well. I mean, yes, there are things that dated in there. I love the part where where Billy, you know, he has his cell phone and the sheriff's like, "Let me ask you this." What are you doing with a cellular telephone, son? Everybody's got one, Sheriff. Why do you have a cellular phone, son? Like, <laughs> all the kids do, Sheriff. Like, yeah. Everybody's like, got one, Sheriff. <laughs> like, and like, like, the clothes, too. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I, I think that the if you strip away all of the little 90s um, accoutrements that are, like, kind of dated, it still has this, like Josh said, it's a very... It's a very well-crafted mystery. Mm-hmm. It is tied into the character's trauma. So it's it's not yeah. like in, – in a way that feels more realistic than like – you know, because you can go back to like Friday the 13th and it's about revenge, right? The mom is getting revenge for her son, but yeah. she's targeting people that have absolutely nothing to do with it, right? So like it takes that kind of kernel of a concept and makes it feel real. Is that motive enough for you? Your slut mother was fucking my father. And she's the reason my mom moved out and abandoned me. How's that? 
was that for a motive? It ties it into this tangible idea of like this this girl's mom may have had sex with uh, Billy's Billy's dad and caused a rift, and that's so. There's like there's actual stakes involved. There's actual there's an actual mystery involved, and I think that that kind of is what anchors this as being such a timeless classic. Yeah, and I think. I mean, I, we, talk, when we talked about Hellraiser. I said that Christie was one of my favorite final girls, but I think Sydney Prescott is like the ultimate final girl to me. Agreed. I think because she also feels like the most real final girl. Like you just said, yeah. Terry, it feels like her story and her investment in this whole thing, it feels much, it's like, it feels very real. And it's like, especially because it's like, you know, it's not, a mo- there's no like supernatural force or monster. It's people. I mean, the whole thing is just people and yeah. just her reaction and her trauma and the way that she interacts with the world is just so good. And she is perhaps to me the best final girl. Yeah, I think so too. Like she's, I mean, for, for a start, she's the only final girl that I can think of that survived every movie. You kind of see oh yeah, um, a trend in the eighties where, you know, the, the actress that would be the final girl in one film would die in the next one. And that never happens. And it's, for me, it was the first franchise as well. I mean, actually it, it, it was the first franchise that I saw and I didn't realize that like the Michaels and the Freddies and the Jasons were what people came to watch movies for. Cause I went to see horror movies in, in the nineties because uh, because of the girls, because yes. of the the lead female characters, yes. and they're the ones that I identified with. Mm-hmm. So I found it quite odd going back and watching Halloween, and then being like, "Wait, Jamie Lee Curtis isn't in three, four, five, six? What? Yes, like I didn't understand." And I was really, it, it put me off a lot of the sequels, and there were a lot of sequels I didn't watch until you know the last few years. That's that's actually very similar to how I feel and why I haven't seen a lot of sequels because a lot of my like bond or like my enjoyment of those movies come from my bond with the with the final girl and the female characters and i just that's why like and i yeah. I've, i haven't seen all of the scream movies i've seen scream one and two and that's why I like scream two i mean scream two is also amazing but it's like they treasure their final girl if that's what, is like a weird way to put it like they respect they the final girl and they see her as more than just like a, a character to torture and to make her like scream and put in pain but actually treat her like a well-rounded character and I really appreciate that because, you know, horror has, you know, a, like a sordid past with representation of women. <laughs> and so yeah. I just really appreciate when a, when a film franchise really honors their female protagonist. I mean, I think it's the same case in Alien and Aliens. Like, it's just, it's rare, I guess, like you said, Josh. And it, I just yeah. really appreciate when that final girl is treated with respect and i know that sounds strange to say about a character but i that's how i feel <laughs> oh i completely agree and and scream's awesome as well because it effectively gives us two because we get gail weathers as well oh, mm-hmm. gail <laughs> yes <laughs> good old gail you know the thing that i always i always remember about scream is the uh the comedy because there's there's a lot yeah. of quick-witted mm-hmm. dialogue that you can tell was written by a gay man but like what what surprised me this last time watching it is kind of how how gruesome it is i mean it, it the opening scene with with drew barrymore's casey um i think is one of the best cold opens of yes of any horror movie yeah, holy but shit it's it it got me this time just how 
traumatic it is. Cause yes. you, yeah, and, it's, it's emotional. It's not just some girl. And yet we meet her for such a short period of time. And within two minutes, we're, we're really feeling for her. Yeah. And I, I got to say, this is probably one of Drew Barrymore's best performances. And I know it's just like a scene, but like, I, she kills she, it though. <laughs> she, yes. <laughs> but like, I, and I, I think what, what I started remembering when I watched this uh, last night was that this scene feels so different than most uh, slasher films up until that point, because the blood, when, when he like jabs the knife into her chest and she just falls on the ground and it just starts sort of like starts pouring out. It's not the yeah. kind of blood I was used to in the eighties. It's not the yeah. over the top, like, you know, bloodbath. Why do they it, do that? It's too red. <laughs> <laughs> it felt so real. And it turns this moment that was up until this kind of like a fun cat and mouse slasher into like, Oh, Oh, this is, this is real. And she is now gasping on the phone to her mom and her mom is on the phone yes. and she's hearing it is. Oh, it really hit me this last time. It, yeah, and like with her parents running in and finding what they they run in right as it's about to happen, and it's just like it is pretty heart wrenching. Yeah, it's it's so. Um, I think it's such a testament to Wes Craven here because he he's I I, I always love his action sequences because they they always feel really scrappy and really raw, mm-hmm. and that moment where the knife goes in, like it goes into slow motion almost, and you see you know that the ghost 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 face you know um he like looks to find where he's gonna stab her and it's you can see that this person behind the mask isn't um isn't like superhuman they're they're like a real person Mm -hmm. and they're they're like fumbly and 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 it and it's um it's wes almost talking about violence as well um because it's like look i'm gonna slow this moment down and show you just how visceral this moment can be and it ties in to the final kitchen scene as well where the two Mm. the two boys have absolutely no concept of the violence they're inflicting on other people until they do it to each other right and then they're like oh fuck that really got me when he's like you're killing me man like that for some reason also really got me at the end when like they're stabbing each other Ah! Ah! he's sick fucks you've seen one too many now sid don't you blame the movies movies don't create psychos Movies make psychos for creative Stop it, Billy. Would you, all right? I can't take any more. I'm feeling woozy here. Yeah. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, this is much more emotionally difficult than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, it's charged, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really charged. I mean, Matt, I mean, I also love Matthew Lillard. Let's just be real here. Um, <laughs> the casting is the perfect, casting is perfect. but just like it that is. whole moment where they're like hanging over each other and bleeding it's like pretty 
pretty homoerotic for the first like for one and like tender but also <laughs> violent i don't know it's weird it's like a lot of really weird feelings i had when i was watching like at the final the final moments of the film <laughs> it's confusing but amazing oh yeah it's it's um i th- I, I you know i'd argue that that kitchen scene is as good if not better than the opening scene yeah it just it, like okay, yeah. it just wraps it all up so perfectly yeah I want to give two shout outs to characters, though, because first of all, Tatum, best friend ever. Yeah. Um, yes. When she's Dream. like, Billy and his penis don't deserve me, right? I'm like, preach, girl. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> Though I must say, in that same scene, she's like, um, what does she say? It's like, ah, oh, so you've got a few intimacy issues as a result of your mother's untimely death. <laughs> like, just throws that out you there. Know, casual. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> She's like, whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love, I love her character. I love her, 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 her death scene where she's like, oh, is this where I'm going to yeah. play the helpless damsel or whatever? And, and mm-hmm. he's just like, yeah. And it's, it's this mix of like, we know that that's not Randy and she doesn't know yet. And so there's like, there's that kind of given, give and take of, of, um, dramatic irony that is just so, so well crafted yeah i completely agree because you care about her as well like so you're you're laughing and you have that sort of like oh she's gonna get it she doesn't know so there's a tension and there's also a comedy but at the same time we like tatum yeah there's a reason that she's a fan favorite there's a reason that people that watch the film constantly bring her up and every time there's a sequel go but what tatum why why was tatum mentioned you know Mm -hmm. because her performance is so likable and it's a tone that i think only really Kevin Williamson and maybe Joss Whedon were able to get in that era, which is creating sort of snarky teenage characters that are actually likable and kind. Whereas people, writers that sort of emulate that style, the, the kids just come across as really mean. Yeah. And you're like, fine, die, I don't care. But with these, it's like, I kind of want to be like you because you talk really cool and you also you've got a really good head on your shoulders and a, a good heart and it's kind of tragic when when they die. Yeah. The other character is Kenny. I want to raise my Kenny. my cold brew coffee to Kenny, a good <laughs> dude who's picked on the entire movie, who has a love-hate relationship with Gail, who calls her a bitch <laughs> goddess. And then in his last dying breath, as he is literally dying in front of Sid, wheezes the door because the last thing on his mind is to protect Sid from this killer. Kenny! <laughs> I love Kenny. I love Kenny. Yes! Oh, I noticed that today in my watch for the first time is him gesturing to Sid, like, to get the door. Yep. Like... Oh, I noticed I'm it so for the first time too, up. because like uh, I had my captions on because I've been doing that recently as I'm taking notes of with movies, and I was the first time that I noticed that he says the the door, the door. <laughs> and like is just yeah. gesturing toward it, and I'm like, oh, he's trying to save her. He's a he good knows guy. he's dead. We love Kenny. In this house, we stand Kenny. We do we stand do. Kenny. And then. <laughs> Poor Kenny. Even when he's dead, <laughs> she's like, "Oh God, Kenny, I'm sorry. Get off my fucking windshield." I know. Yeah. Which uh, for years I didn't know what she was saying. I think I tweeted about this like uh, uh, when I last rewatched the film. I thought she's like, I thought she was saying, "Get off my fucking cochino." 
And I was like, oh, is, is Cochino like a, a make of, of a van that I'm just not aware of? <laughs> so I had no idea Amazing. what that was until someone said, it's get off my fucking windshield. Ah. <laughs> no clue. Uh, that's great. So shall we talk about our final thoughts on screen? Yes. Okay, Terry, how many out of five, how many homoerotic friendships out of five do you give Scream? I give them all the homoerotic friendships, <laughs> all five and more if it's possible. I I love this movie. You know, I, it's iconic. It's the movie, like I said, that brought me back into horror. It's it's so much fun to watch it now because you I'm picking up every single time I and I think you mentioned this earlier Josh every single time I watch it I'm I'm picking up new things and one of the things that I did do is I googled do you know how many movies are referenced in scream like directly referenced in scream No I don't a lot <laughs> Take a guess Take a 50. guess 50 oh, not that many Well um, <laughs> damn it uh 19 25 there are 25 movies that are referenced. Um, 26, if you include Apollo 13, where at the end, uh, Stu is like, Houston, we have a problem. I don't know if you can consider okay. that. But like, if you don't consider that, there are 25 movies that are, wow. are mentioned in this. And I, it's 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 so fun because there it, it seems like a lot to have in a two-hour movie. But like they're just referenced so well. And I think that kind of yeah. goes back to the script. This movie is so is so well written and it's it's just the perfect storm of a perfect cast a perfect script and a horror director that was operating at the top of his game um i love this movie what about you mary beth so i will give this five homoerotic friendships out of five one for the legacy it has left in my life and Mm. two for when i finally saw it saw it just exceeding my expectations in such a ridiculous way and i am upset especially because i'm obsessed with sydney prescott as final girl i think she is one of the best final girls in the horror genre i love her to pieces i would die for her um and for all the same reasons you said terry i think it's just such a a clever film that works as satire without trying too hard or at least like hiding its efforts so well um it's just timeless it's a, it's a timeless classic which i know sounds cheesy to say but like it really is like a timeless horror classic i think and yeah yeah i absolutely adore it all right josh you have the final word how many homoerotic friendships out of five do you give scream and what are your final thoughts well i think we all know i'm gonna give it five homoerotic <laughs> friendships out of five <laughs> um and i think you guys you guys have said it all perfectly you know it 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 works on so many levels. It works for me on a personal level from right from when I was a kid, you know, being absolutely terrified and this being my gateway into horror. Um, and it's worked for me as an adult, as a, as an artist and as a creative being a constant source of inspiration and motivation to craft something that matters as much to someone else as this does to me. And it's also really fun to share with other people, you know, being here and talking about it with you is, 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 like a real privilege it's it's lovely and i i really enjoy watching the film um with people that haven't seen it before i really enjoy re-watching the film with people that have um so i think it's created as horror so often does a, a fantastic community so i love it it's perfect it's my favorite well there you have it they it have is folks. perfect <laughs> it's so great 
so thank you so much, Josh, for joining us to talk about Scream. Uh, this this movie just it's so good. But where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up you'd like to share? So you guys can find me on uh, Instagram and on Twitter. And my handle is just my name. So at Joshua Tonks, T-O-N-K-S. You can also find me at Erie Indiana Pod. We drop a new episode every Friday. And like we said, you can find the episodes of Erie Indiana on Amazon Prime, so watch along. And at the moment, obviously being quarantined, I am homebound, so I'm just trying to use the time as best I can to create as much as I can. There is there is going to be a latent image feature. Oh. <gasps> However, things things <laughs> things were put on hold, shall we say, because that's what happened in the entire world. Yeah. Right. Things got put on hold. So there there will be a latent image feature in future. But, you know, we'll just have that's about as much as I can say on that, I guess. Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. Well, in the meantime, go get you a uh, free trial to Deku and watch um, the latent image yes. on there. Because it's... Yeah, um, I think you can watch it on Amazon Prime as well. Oh, can you? Because um, Deku has like... You can sub, you can do like a free trial to Deku through Amazon Prime. Oh, oh there you so, go. Guys, so you have on no too. excuse to sleep on this then. <laughs> and if you enjoy lgbtq content i really recommend deku it's um they have some really good movies on there as well so and we'll link that again in the description of the podcast um so listeners you have heard from us but we want to hear from you what was your experience with scream you can send us an email at scarred for life podcast at gmail.com or reach out directly to us on twitter i am at mb mcandrews and I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with us on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Steve Barnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our amazing music. Everyone, please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>